Hello, and welcome to A Mental Break Down, where Liam and I take a break from reality to talk about sports. I'm Bryce, and I'm a mental skills coach. I'm Liam, and I'm a researcher. And this week, we're talking about the NFL playoffs. You excited, Liam? I'm quite excited. I, I feel like you might be a little bit upset at this, though. Are you, are you sure you're ready to talk about the topic? <laughs> so a bit of context. Nice. I don't I have no idea what you could possibly be talking about. <laughs> Yeah, you. The real truth is, the rest of this episode would end up with me ranting about it. So let's just let's just move on. Are we going to try and gloss over it? I'm going to just conveniently ignore it. Other, like I said, otherwise it's 40 minutes of me yelling. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty positive for for my team. At least my uh, your team, my LA Rams, have made the playoffs. Even if we kind of limped over the line a little bit, but uh, let's kind of forget about that last game. But yeah, I'm excited because there's some really interesting matchups to come up. I think. I was talking to a friend about this, and it, it's it's quite difficult to predict what the results are going to be like. Um, there's a lot of games that are quite open-ended at the moment. Both the overall quality of the NFL is up, but also like the overall quality of some of the playoffs teams, especially in the lower tier, are actually really down. Like some of them just aren't good. <laughs> no offense to Philly here, or the or Pittsburgh. <laughs> what do you mean, Big Ben's the best quarterback in the league right now? Dude, it's his corpse out there, is what it is. <laughs> Did you see that he threw, um, wasn't it Wasn't it the most attempts for the least amount of yards per attempt um, of all quarterbacks who've thrown more than 40? Um, it's not the not the last game, it was the week before. He just I didn't, didn't but that's like, Two-yard shovels. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time to uh, to be a bit of an NFL fan, isn't it? Um, uh, speaking of Big Ben, what are the players you have that you think are going to stand out? So I may be a little bit biased here, but Cooper Cup is my guy. He's the whole reason I support the Rams. So I think after getting the triple crown of receptions, receiving touchdowns and yards, he's got to be someone who you're looking at to be one of the best performers. I think other than that, I realise, having thought about this, I kind of like my uh, wide receivers over everything else. So people like Debo Samuel and uh, Jamar Chase are always capable of those big plays as well. Um, so I think it could be quite a big weekend for those wide receivers and, and the ball being slung about. How about yourself? Well, I'm sort of in the same boat, but the thing is, without without quarterbacks, wide receivers kind of are useless. But I still have Devontae Adams on that list, and then I have the Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase because those two that pairing is unbelievable. Oh, it's it's good. And then finally, the true I think player to watch, not necessarily because he's going to be like super exciting, but because how he plays will determine how far his team goes, is Dak Prescott. Mm, that's a very good pick, actually. Because Ezekiel Elliott has been extremely disappointing this season. The entire running game has been disappointing. But yet they're still, you know, one of the top half playoff teams. And he has the ability to really be the reason for that. Like, it's it's all on him. And he's proving that he's more than capable of handling that. Yeah, I mean, what he's got um, Dalton Schultz back fit, Amari Cooper back fit, obviously CD Lamb. Like, he's got the, the weapons if he's on his game. Um, it just depends yeah one and done games prove to be incredibly variable so who do you have as dark horses teams that could win but aren't favorites i'd probably say just purely we've mentioned him before uh, earlier about burrow and that burrow and chase kind of relationship i think it has to be the bengals as the dark horses i mean i assumed the chiefs would stop them the chiefs defense has been playing pretty well over the last couple of weeks i assumed that they'd be able to to stop that kind of link up, but apparently not. I mean, Mixon's playing out of his skin at the moment as well. I think it's a very dangerous team to play um, who are on a bit of a hot streak. The confidence that they can 
have in some of the performances they've had over the last three or four weeks. I think they've really got to be a dark horse. And I mean, Andy, they play kind of um, a bit of a struggling side, I'd probably say, in the Raiders as well. So um, once you get past that kind of first wildcard game, then take it a game at a time and you never know for them, I think. I have the Bengals on that list for me as well. Um, partially because I think think over the last decade, excluding Tom Brady, every quarterback that's won a Super Bowl has either been a rookie or a second year player. That's a very good stat. So then you have so that leave that makes it Joe Burrow. And this is kind of why I, I don't know I don't think this really counts because they have the best coach in the history of football, but the Patriots could be considered a dark horse just because they're a wild card team. At one point they had the best record in the AFC. But they're uh, but they're a wild card team, so you could say they're a dark horse. Though I don't really think they are. Um, I think they're the Patriots, and they're going to end up in the AFC Championship game. And then you have the Cardinals, who I feel the same way about them that I do about the Rams, where their overall body of work is good enough that now that they can take a deep breath and settle down and enter into the playoffs, you know, correctly, if you will, they'll be ready to perform at that level. Yeah, I mean, that's a worry for me as a fan. Kyler is an insane player. Um, just some of the things he does. Like, I know I've, I've not been watching the sport for, for a vast amount of time, but seeing some of the things he does compared to everyone else, it's, like, incredible. So it is that kind of worry that he might put up that MVP-type performance in the game and take it away from us just like that, really. Positive news for you, though, is that DeAndre Hopkins is still out, and that's why they have to be a dark horse and not a favorite, because if he's there... That yeah. level that they played at for the rest of the year, you expect them to. But without him, they're a much different team. I think D-Hop is out. I think uh, James Conner might be out as well. So that takes away two big weapons. So um, Yeah, that's like the two biggest pieces because James Conner relieved a lot of the pressure on Kyler while DeAndre Hopkins was out, allowing them to perform well. Uh, meanwhile, DeAndre Hopkins has just been one of the best wide receivers in the league during this period, this season when he was healthy. Yeah, it st- still makes me nervous, though, even if they're without those. I'm still very nervous, probably mainly because my flatmate's a Cardinals fan. So uh, I really, really want the bragging rights in all of this. For sure. That's that's that makes it personal, doesn't it? <laughs> so nice. speaking of which, the Cardinals Rams is one of my games to watch. Uh, what else? What do you have? Um, I'd probably say that Bill's Pats game because it's I can't <laughs> I can't call it. I, and it might not be the most entertaining you know, in terms of, you know, passes being slung and yards being thrown. Yeah. But I think it's going to be the, the hardest forward out of all of the games. Cause it's it's too, also personal. It's very personal as well. So I'd, I, I'm really interested to see how Mac Jones kind of deals with that first kind of big playoff game for him. That's kind of one of the reasons why I think the Patriots have to be one of the higher rated ones. Because A, Bill Belichick, B, a rookie quarterback without baggage. Um, but the second part is... Both of those games that we mentioned are both of the games I have to watch, so we're pretty much in complete agreement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We definitely didn't organize that before we started recording. Yes, absolutely. Also, for the same reason, because like it, it is a true coin flip in that Buffalo is overall the better team, but it's still Bill Belichick and the Patriots in the playoffs, right? Like, mm-hmm. There's always that chance. Yeah, always the chance he, uh, he outthinks the opposition, so yeah, you can't call it at all. I mean, it could be 2000 all over again where they have an inexperienced quarterback going into the playoffs, go on a miracle run and win it, and it starts the, a long period of success. Or 2002, sorry, not 2000. Yeah, don't tell me there's a dynasty starting, Bryce. Well, it's just never ended is the truth. <laughs> That's a good point. Having said all of these things, who wins the Super Bowl? I think 
it's hard to look past the Packers, personally. Just purely because of Lambeau Field. I mean, it's the it's the only... Isn't it the only... It's either, they're the only, either the only team or one of two teams to have not lost on home ground. Um, so they've got that, obviously, going for them. They've got Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. They've got a lot of ball players on that team as well. I think it's just... It's hard to look past them at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I, I think for me, the Packers right now. I know that's maybe a little bit boring because they're one of the bigger sides in, in the playoffs. But I think, uh, I think yeah, I think it's going to be them. All right. And who do they beat in the Super Bowl? Who do they beat in the Super Bowl? Um, yeah. Whew, I think they beat the Bills. That's my prediction. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so you don't know this history. But there is deep history with the Buffalo Bills making the Super Bowl and losing. There was a period in the mid in the early '90s when they had um, Jim Kelly. His backup was Frank Reich, head coach of the Colts, but he was the uh, starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills and was truly a very good quarterback. And they made the Super Bowl three years in a row or in a row and lost all three times. Ooh, that's some bad luck, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so they have not won a Super Bowl. So going to the Super Bowl again and then losing would just be, I mean. You can talk about twisting a dagger. That's truly tough. Yeah, yeah, but I know Josh Allen is great, but but I think yeah, it's it's just I think they might sneak past the Pats, and then I think their defense might be really good against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. So it just oh, it's it, it's hard to call. But yeah, I'm, I'm calling for more heartbreak for the Bills anyway. I think what Josh Allen is ranked as the number one fantasy quarterback for two years running. I think he'd outperform any of the other quarterbacks in that kind of list that you've said. I think the you're about to learn a brutal lesson that fantasy means absolutely. <laughs> I know, but I mean, I can see from my eyes as well that Josh Allen's been pretty much carrying that team. They've got no run game whatsoever. Because you're so. saying he's going to play. Because you're also saying that assuming um, Kansas City wins, which is a pretty high likelihood considering mm-hmm. they're playing Pittsburgh, that he Josh Allen will perform better than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think he will do. Okay, I mean that's is that is that, is that that's a that's that is because <laughs> Patrick Mahomes has been the best quarterback in the NFL over the last six weeks, like far and away. Mm, I know, I know, but Joe Burrow is the only one close. But Joe Burrow, almost fifty percent of his success is through Jamar Chase. So when you compare the two, Patrick Mahomes is overall playing way better. I'll I'll, uh, I'll die by this call, and I'm claiming it. Okay, I mean that's. That's the first one you got on a limb here. So my Super Bowl is LA and the Chiefs, and I'm picking the Chiefs to win. It's boring, yes, but I, the Titans, as long as um, Derrick Henry is rusty or unable to play, they're unlikely to succeed. Um, they just are. They've they've struggled through large periods. They figured it out, but they've struggled through large periods of the season, and they got an incredibly favorable last three games in their schedule, which allowed them to secure the one seed in comparison to their closest opponents. Do you think the Rams will go to Lambeau Field and beat the Packers? Because I think if we I think if we beat the Cardinals, we have to beat the Packers to get through. Yeah, if you if you beat if you went in against the Car- uh, Cardinals, you have to play the Packers, yes. Yeah. I I just can't see us beating them in Lambeau Field, but look, if if you have faith in us, then maybe I should have faith in us. It's about the idea that the overall performance occurs this season is more important than over one or two games at the end of the year. True, true. Sure, Aaron Rodgers 
better quarterback overall than Matthew Stafford, more playoff experience, all that stuff. But I don't trust that team very far, very much. I just don't. There's too much internal bullshit that if things get tough, they're going to fall apart. That's what I would see happening. Potentially, but we can't stop the run, and we played them about five, six weeks ago, and they ran us to death with Aaron Jones and uh, AJ Dillon. So I think the worry is that Pac- uh, Rogers... If I recall correctly, Aaron Donald missed that game, didn't he? No, he didn't. He was playing. Okay. Yeah. So um, Again, another player I trust in the playoffs to elevate his game, Aaron Donald. Yeah, well, him and Von Miller have been playing absolutely insane last few weeks. Right, and Aaron Donald's in the middle, so one of the keys to stopping the run that's been proven over and over and over again is a defensive tackle that can take double teams and even beat them, and that's Aaron Donald, like, all over. True, but did did you watch the Rams game against the 49ers last week? I did not. Uh, they decided at some point during the game they wanted to run the ball and they absolutely ran it down our throats for the second half. I think they're averaging something like five or six yards a carry. which is pretty A lot scary. of that comes down to preparation for each game. Oh, Shanahan's insane, though. I think I saw some analysis after the game and he was, like, showing certain things and then moving it around and, you know, obviously he is an offensive genius, but <laughs> he had his own strings. Yeah, so. but a lot of it comes down to preparation where he sees what the defense does and the defense sees what the offense does. And if they just zig when the other team zags, it results in crazy performances. Like, that's pretty much what happens for the Colts pretty much every time we lost is, or every time we won, I should say, is we saw what the other team was doing and we zigged when they zagged. Well... <laughs> I'm just praying that we don't play the 49ers again. I think we've lost to them six times in a row now after last week. So it's um, a bit of a scary proposition. So fingers crossed for the Cowboys to beat them. So you feel like, you know, Matthew Stafford's going to go in and be and struggle in Lambeau? At Lambeau, yes. So Stafford played really well against the Cardinals. I think he'll be fine on Monday night. Um, but I think... I think we just, yeah, I, I think we might go there and just, I don't know. In the big moments, he's been throwing big pick sixes and putting us behind the game. That's what happened in the, in the uh, game against the Packers a few weeks ago. And when you're behind the game and you can't stop the run as You well. know what's crazy is throughout his career, Matthew Stafford in Detroit was known for elevating the team to above their talent level. And he did that by having late game surges and comebacks where when the, t- when the going got tough, he grinded it out. I think he has the most fourth quarter um, overtime comebacks um, in the period he's been in the NFL. I think so. Yeah. Um, so he, he actually has been insane for us in the fourth quarter as well. Like to be fair, his, um, his touchdown against the 49ers with about a minute to go should have won us the game really. But um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a bit weird. A lot of Rams fans are kind of saying he, this season is pretty much comparable to Jared Goff's season in 2018. Yeah, I've seen that. And, it's not, but I've seen that. And yeah, it's not good seeing that. <laughs> Cause, no, I meant like it's not anywhere, like that relationship is inaccurate. It's like it's one of those things where people look at stats and they go, hey, look, they're the same when they're not even close to it. Yeah, 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 it is, it is one of those. But I think it's it's more that Stafford is obviously a step up, but he just seems to, and I don't know whether this is the relationship with OBJ, but I think he just seems to just, he just has a moment where he switches off in a game or, you know, he's rushed into doing something he shouldn't do. It feels like, you know, the pressures get into him in those big moments and, and something happens and wish we could take it back after it sort of thing. I mean, he's been in those big moments a lot and he's succeeded in them. So what's different 
now or what's different to an overall game versus an individual moment in a game is it expectation you'd probably say what's different now to him before um brought in for quite a big price decent contract i guess he wasn't he always kind of sort of the plucky underdog with the detroit lions in games leading him back there's a lot of expectation and pressure on his shoulders to carry rams because rams are pretty much a win first team right now aren't they with all the draft picks they've traded away so there is that kind of i guess expectation for him to lead lead us to the super bowl and beyond whereas he's probably not had to deal with that pressure all of his career until now i'd probably say He's had years where they had high expectations, especially when they had Megatron still, true, where true. they expected that team to perform well and make the playoffs, and they still didn't. Mm. I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he deals with the next, hopefully, four weeks, if we're, if we're playing for the next four weeks. It'll be interesting to see um, how he copes with that, because in certain situations, like I mentioned against the Cardinals, he was insane. Um, I think he had like a over 130 passer rating or something crazy like that. So what are you doing if you're working with him to get him to perform at the level you need him to and the pressure's on? Well, I think for me, high-pressure games and high-stakes high kind of bring about problems with your arousal. So your arousal is to kind of do with your physiological and psychological state. It's kind of like a complex kind of interaction with that. And from some of the some of the reading that I've done around arousal, they talk about how each player or each individual themselves has that kind of individual level of optimal arousal. So it's like a bell curve. So if you increase your arousal uh, from zero, you're obviously going to improve. But as soon as you get to the top of that bell curve, it talks about how too much arousal following that means your, your performance can drop off and it can drop off quite steeply. So I wonder whether it's an issue with Stafford's arousal in the big games and in the big the big moments i think for me i'd probably be trying to trying to target like reducing that level of arousal in, either before the game or during the plays so you can talk about maybe a few uh, a few interventions like relaxation deep breathing that sort of thing during the games itself and like maybe in between plays but maybe it's about kind of imagery and a bit of self-talk before the game as well to get, get him to kind of like set his head right about what's going on um, I think I'd probably target my my support on that. Okay. And, I mean, in, football is still a higher arousal sport. Do you think the kind of deep breathing mindfulness stuff would, like, get in the way of that? Potentially. I mean, uh, you're right in saying that you have to be careful using it. I think that, I, personally, I'd use the, the deep breathing during the game to reduce those levels rather than before. Um I remember a great lecture that me and Bryce went to in uh, in Edinburgh when we were studying together, and we tried doing progressive muscle relaxation, and uh, they they pretty much played this tape for what fifteen twenty minutes. We were all lying on the floor doing this like feeling where like your legs are and feel your arms and feel the contact and stuff, and then basically they turned around to us and said, "Do you feel like you could go out and perform and go out and <laughs> play to your best abilities if you were playing a sport right now?" And obviously the resounding answer is no, because you're pretty much then you're, you're very much, I was quite sleepy after it actually. Um, so I guess relaxation before the game itself might be a bit of a worry because those arousal levels might not be at the highest just before the game. They might be at the highest when, for example, you're trying to lead a fourth quarter comeback, you're in the, the two minute drill and you're trying to get that last kind of touchdown to win you the game. That's when I'd probably be targeting something like those relaxation techniques, I'd say. 
So for me, I would say use it to sleep, uh, especially with PMR or progressive muscle relaxation. Uh, for the listeners, it's basically uh, you go, uh, it's kind of a body scanning thing where you start at your feet or your head, whichever direction you want to go or your hands. Um, and you flex the muscles and hold them for a certain amount of time and then release them. Um, and what you feel is the tightness go pretty much go away. It's a lot like weightlifting where it, it causes endorphins and dopamine to be released. Um, but what it does is it results in extreme muscle relaxation, right? Like that's the point of it. Um, so I would say to use that to sleep before, cause you need good sleep. I would never suggest using that in the middle of a game. What I, mindfulness maybe, but definitely not PMR. Mindfulness is just the deep breathing um, kind of body scanning, being aware of your surroundings and being present again. And that I think would be useful just because returning to the present in the middle of the game, instead of thinking about a mistake you just made or the way your end of the season went, I think would be beneficial. Would you likely do that on the sidelines, like say between drives, that sort of thing? For sure. Like I, I've been working on something for golf or for um, basketball and things like that where you can do a quick uh mindfulness like five to ten like a five minute mindfulness thing while you're walking um even shorter than that if you have to and i would use something like that where he walks away from his coaching or his or his team uh the hard part is especially if he's playing in lambo or something like that he's gonna have to try and find a way to zone out the noise around him or at least turn it into white noise in his head so it's an interesting point. There's a lot of distractions going on, going on, isn't there, in, in games like that and especially at places like Lambeau Field. Yeah, especially the, the direct banter and chirp he'll get from <laughs> yeah, the people right behind the, the chances. Yeah. I used to go to I used to go to college football games and we would always look up the roster on the opposing team. Um, the reason we looked up the roster is because these are college football teams that were like tiny and not very good. So it's not like they had a bunch of big name players. And then use things against him. Like there was once uh, they played, uh, this is when I was in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So it was Western Kentucky University and they played Navy. And Troy Palomalu's like cousin was on the team. And we just yelled, we just trash talked him using Troy Palomalu the whole game. But with Matthew Stafford, it's a lot easier. You've seen his performances. You're like, hey, you should have stayed in Detroit. It turns out you were always the same quarterback in Detroit and they missed the playoffs because of you, not, you know, you know all those kinds of things. Like you can turn it into that kind of thing. And what, and the difference between like direct chirp and just general crowd noise makes it a lot harder to ignore. How would you, for example, if, if someone came to you and said, I'm struggling to deal with um, this during a game, do you know, it's taking my attention away from some of the, the, the game related stimuli that I should be focusing on. How would you suggest for someone to kind of maintain their focus on that kind of like, um, that kind of game stuff rather than the outside chat. To be honest, if by the time they reach the NFL, they have a problem with somebody trash talking them and that getting them to perform poorly, um, I'd be extremely surprised. But if they are struggling with that, maybe it's a new problem they've had. Um, I'd probably do something along with cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, Cause what it basically means is he's allowing this fan thought or trash talk to he's lending it credence and voice and like lending it a sense of truth because if he's just saying nonsense like you're going to be able to ignore it very mm -hmm. easily right so but if you think what he's saying has a kernel of truth that could be a problem so i would use reappraisal or something along that so that you can just be like look he's just talking nonsense you can just ignore it so i guess you'd have to kind of teach someone like that in in um in doing appraisal in a few different training sessions and get them used to 
to applying that in a game, wouldn't you? Yeah, for sure. And I, I would probably have them do it, have them start doing the exercises daily, even outside of performance environments, just so they can get a handle on how they work. It could be for some quite fun training sessions if you all stood at the side shouting abuse at them and trying to get them to apply those skills. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> I don't know if I'd do that. Maybe I'd hire some students to do it. <laughs> yeah, just a chant at the side of training. Do you think this stuff you were talking about with Matthew Stafford, where he's in the past been on underdog teams and now he suddenly has expectation, do you think any of that relates to challenge and threat? So in bringing up that topic, Bryce, I think you could be right in a sense. It might be that that like I mentioned, if, if you're the underdog for quite a lot of your career, especially in playoff games, you're only really doing that challenge kind of mentality. It's not really necessary to be that threat because you almost have a free hit when you're the underdog. Whereas when there's expectation, there is that threat about letting people down and and you're being paid money to do that. What if you don't, uh, you know, what if you, you don't perform? And this is literally what the Rams are paying him for to go and bring a Super Bowl home. So it very much could be could be derived in him kind of being a little bit, uh, having that mindset of being it being a bit of a threat more than a challenge, definitely. For the listeners, there's a couple of key factors. Challenge and threat are basically, it can be boiled down to effectively two responses to a stressful performance event, where a challenge, you see it as an opportunity to perform, an opportunity to prove yourself, and a challenge to overcome. Whereas a threat state is you see it as an ego threat, um, a threat to your uh, overall potentially well-being and health and as well as a potential threat to your reputation. Um, and so there's a couple of other factors that go into the threat state, like controllability, overall viewing of your own performance leading up to it and things like that. But the key one to me is the ego threat. And I think that's where it relates specifically um, to him because he knows a, He's a successful quarterback. He has the stats to back it up. He's been a starting quarterback pretty much his entire career. Um, he's had success and had all kinds of fourth quarter comebacks. He's got a lot of fans and stuff like that. But he knows that when he left Detroit, he was looking for a contender. He's later on in his career. He wants to win a Super Bowl. So to him, there's limited opportunities ahead. So it's not very controllable. He has limited experience, so he can't assess his own ability. And then... Everyone generally sees him as a very good quarterback who's been on bad teams. What happens if he underperforms and people, and people then begin to realize, quote-unquote, or believe that he's actually just not a good quarterback or a, an overrated quarterback? He's potentially playing for a contract as well, isn't he? I think he was only signed on a couple-year deal. Um, so potentially. That's mostly related to age. Um, if he maintains that, the, like the, even if they lose in the playoffs and he maintains this level of performance through the next regular season, they're probably going to resign him. It depends whether they can afford it as well, I guess, with with all the cap space nonsense that the Rams are managing to avoid at the moment. Yeah, it kind of depends on whether or not they choose to rebuild at that point. But the number one position in football that everyone yeah. needs is a quarterback, and it's the hardest position yeah. to fill. You can ask about four or five of the teams in the NFL at the moment about that as well. Cough, cough. <laughs> Let's not mention his name. So when you're talking about arousal regulation, I think... This made me think of something. The big event in the past week in the NFL was obviously, well, I guess not the last week, but it was the week before. But Antonio Brown's breakdown on the middle in the middle of a game. It was a pretty big event, wasn't it? It was quite bizarre to see when you're watching the game, and then suddenly um, <laughs> I've got that image in my head of uh, him jumping in front of the crowd in the end zone with his um, 
with all his jersey off and all his gear off. Um, yeah, and he's throwing his gloves in the crowd. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, it's uh, something I don't think I've ever seen before. So there's been only one other instance that I can think of where a player was either cut or quit mid-game, and it was Vontae Davis for the Miami Dolphins. In the middle of the game, I'm sorry, it was for the Bills. He went to the Dolphins uh, before. Okay, that's the okay. order I was confusing with. He was in Miami. Then he was in Indianapolis, and that's where he played his best years and was an all-pro corner. Then he got towards the end of his career, and we let him go, and he signed with Buffalo. Um, and in the middle of a game, he basically at halftime cut himself to the point where he he didn't just cut himself, but he also agreed not to like get paid the rest of his contract. So it was kind of it's it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And the way uh, Antonio Brown did it was so different. And, you know, Antonio Brown's still going to expect a game check from that game. Yeah, I think it's just never been for me. It's never been as egregious as it was. Like I've seen in English football, I've seen Carlos Tevez refuse to play and refuse to come off the bench. But it's very much kind of like, I don't know, they're the kind of the, the goings on that you yeah. really found out after the game. Um uh, you kind of knew at the time. You, you that knew there was a little bit of trouble, but it wasn't clear what was kind of going on. Just that a few people were unhappy. Who was the manager at the uh, time? Mancini, I think it was. Yeah, Roberto Mancini. You could tell he was livid with Tevez, and I think they kind of figured it out in real time what was happening. Yeah. But yeah, like like you say, I mean, Antonio Brown was probably expecting to be paid. I mean, part of the reasons why I guess we don't want to speculate, but he was getting up to his um, incentivized. Um, number of was it receptions and number of yards and that sort of thing that um yeah he had three incentives it's catches yards and touchdowns that he was very very close to so maybe he wasn't happy about not being targeted um but let's uh let me just go through the timeline and i'll give some in there and i did i did a lot of collating with this because then there's also um quotes from both bruce arians and tony brown about what happened and then that are somewhat conflicting um, and then we can kind of assess what we think actually happened. So it starts in week six. Uh, AB br- injures his ankle in some way and misses five games. So it's a fairly significant ankle injury. Uh, during this injury period, he was suspended a three more games, uh, bringing his total to 11 games missed over two seasons due to suspension, which is crazy. But he was suspended three games because it came out that he had a fake vaccination card. So he misses a total games, uh, misses eight games total for injury and suspension. He comes back to the end of that. He returns week fifteen. Uh, however, um, in that game, however, he did get two ten catches for one hundred one yards. So he's and he had like I don't know like fifteen targets or eighteen targets or something crazy like that. He aggravates the ankle and misses two practices the week before. However, during this period, he misses those two practices. Arians is out due to COVID protocols, so he does not participate in those practices. It's reported that he was aware of participants and everything else, but it's a game of telephone at that point, and there's potential that he doesn't know why he missed or it, or the severity of why he missed. He may think it's just him taking a rest, uh, which is a common thing that every team does late in the season, especially with the older players, is if they have any kind of knocks or at all, even it's usually assumed they're minor. During the game, in which he was targeted eight times in the first half, in the first half that they struggled, but he was still targeted eight times, which means he was on pace for 16 targets over the course of the game. He takes himself out of the game after a play in the third quarter. Arians approaches, and here's um, the overall story, is that Arians approaches and asks what's wrong. 
But then here's where it deviates, where Arians suggest, says at his Thursday press conference, I'm going to quote, at no point in time during that game did he ever ask the trainer or a doctor about his ankle. That's normal protocol. You go through protocols during games. I was never notified of it. So obviously that was the disturbing thing when we were looking for him to go back into the game. He was very upset at halftime about who was getting targeted. We got that calmed down. The players took care of that. It started again on the sideline. We called for the personnel group that he had played in with the entire game, and he refused to go into the game. That's when I looked back and basically saw him basically wave off the coach. I then went back and approached him and asked what was going on. I ain't playing, he says. What's going on? Arians asks. I ain't getting the ball. That's when I said, you're done. Get the F out of here. That's the end of it. We are working on Carolina. Uh, or this was during the Monday press conference the week afterwards. That's a normal attendance. He does then do a Thursday press conference later to respond to something AB says, which he I'm about to quote here too, because here's his version of those same events. Uh, and this is from an official statement that I think is crazy. His lawyers allowed him to make because of my commitment to the game. I relented to pressure directly from my coach to play injured. Despite the pain, I suited up the staff inject me with what I now know was a powerful and sometimes dangerous painkiller that the NFLPA NFL Players Association has a warned has warned against using, and I gave it all for the team. I played until I was clear that I could no uh, I could not use my ankle to safely perform my playing responsibilities. On top of that, the pain was extreme. I took a seat on the sideline, and my coach came up to me, very upset, and shouted, "What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you?" I told him it's my ankle, but he knew that it was well documented. And we had discussed it. He then ordered me to get on the field. I said, "Coach, I can't." He didn't call for medical attention. Instead, he shouted to me. He shouted at me, "You're done!" While he ran a finger across his throat. Arians denies making this gesture in the Thursday press conference. Coach was telling me that if I didn't play hurt, that I was done with the Bucks. So that's where everything deviates. And already, you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 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 a hard situation to know. Obviously. It's pretty much a he said, she said at the moment, isn't it? Um, so it's hard to know where the blame lies. I mean, if you were to to take a guess, I guess you'd probably trust Arians, the coach over a player. But it's an interesting one. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's just an absolute chaos to try and figure through, isn't it? But it sounds like what AB's trying to do is make Bruce Arians sound like the absolute worst human being possible, and he's coming up with the most outlandish ways to do it. If, if just just imagining AB's side of things is potentially has some truth, do you think there's an issue in the NFL with um, that kind of pressure on players and, and making them play through injuries and that sort of type? So there's uh, there's extreme there's extreme restrictions on this. Um, I was listening to a Pat McAfee podcast where he was talking to a reporter who was reporting a B side of it, um, and his his reaction was basically they can't make you play injured if you don't want to. They cannot make you play if you don't want to if you're not healthy. That was basically his his comment is that it's literally impossible based on the players' association and the NFL um, contract with the players' association that that's not possible. Okay, then, so... But what's common is that they use these incentives, um, Something and something that's key to this is that AB and his uh, agent tried to get the rest of his season uh, incentives guaranteed. He was very close to them, um, and I think what his plan was was to get them guaranteed and then to sit out this game. But he chose to play injured, um, and to the point where he, like, 
was not talking to the, you know, and I, I even think part of it is that he was hoping to reach his incentive early in the game because it was supposed to be a blowout against a bad team. And he was hoping to reach that incentive early in the game. But when he wasn't getting it, he got upset about the targets and just decided I'm going to sit now. Cause I think his plan was to get that incentive and then sit for the rest of the game. Right. So it's kind of driven by driven kind of by a reaction of the targets he was getting and that sort of thing then. Yeah, that's uh, he. Re- he uh, Arians reported that they had an issue with targets at halftime before this even had it happened, um, and then that his report is that he said, "I ain't getting the ball." So that's the first part. The second part is when Mike Evans is the only person on the team who tries to calm him down, and I think what's clear is if AB's story was true, somebody like that would be a key figure to like say something. Like he'd be like, "Yeah, they made him play injured." Um, but he hasn't made a statement that I can find about it. And he tries to calm him down. And I, I just feel like Bruce Arians' statement coincides with the actions of all the people involved more than AB's. Looking kind of at the situation, or looking at, I guess, AB's behavior on a whole, do you think AB's getting enough support um, and enough kind of guidance from people around him? Because... I did see some reporters tweeting saying that potentially AB's mental health might not be where it where it should be. It might might be that he's struggling. Do you think AB's getting enough help in that sort of sense? Well, this goes back to something Tom Brady said, where he was he mentioned specifically um, he didn't say mental health, but the the words were clearly something along the lines of he thinks AB's in a crisis, which is something that you would expect somebody to say related to a mental health issue. Yeah. But I think if you go back through his entire history, it's not like we didn't see this coming and everyone in the world knew it was only a matter of time till he was out in Tampa Bay. It, and his statement reads like someone trying to save their career and place the entire outbur- childish outburst on being forced to play injured because he knows, A, that's the only way he might get paid, and B, it's the only way he might be able to play for a different organization. So you don't... Do you think that there has been a potential facilitation of his behavior? Absolutely. So he has a history of both flipping the blame and trying to do anything he can to get paid. So you think that's uh, that's coming up with the books then? This has been known for a while about his behavior. And I just think it's, it's so frustrating because you see this throughout the entire NFL at some point. There have been a number of players who've been kicked out once bullying claims have come out, but everyone knew it was happening. It was only once it became public that they cut him or got rid of him. Uh, there have been claims, there have been tons of sexual assault claims that have, you find out later, Deshaun Watson, anyone. And the only reason, and he still, the Dolphins apparently still wanted to sign him and play with him. Uh, the Texans haven't cut him yet. Technically they can't, but that's a whole different discussion. And then you have examples of like uh, the tight end, whose name I can't remember, Hernandez, Hernandez, who played for the Patriots, who literally murdered someone. At every step of the way throughout these kids' careers, from high school and elementary school to college to then the NFL, this behavior would have been known, right? You'd have known they had this these thoughts. You'd have known that they acted like this to the point where the Steelers constantly covered up AB's behavior, constantly protected him, constantly kept him from, from snapping. Uh, he apparently, if I recall correctly, he got cut from a college team because of behavior and ended up playing at Central Michigan, which is the only school that would accept him. So they knew 
at every step of the way, it was coaches fighting for their jobs, right? High school coaches who were like, I just need to get this kid to play for me and then move him on because then he's no longer my problem. And just constantly moving that instead of actually doing anything to help him figure out himself or the world. But people and teams are desperate for success, aren't they? And, and for all AB's faults, is a brilliant receiver. So I guess the issue is that some some teams uh, are almost, I don't think the word's fine, but they can overlook some of the other aspects of AB if you, it leads to success on the field. And I guess that's a major issue, isn't it, really? Because like I, a lot of this stuff, it just makes me so unbelievably sad. Because for a lot of people, and we kind of even did it in our discussion, right? They see this as like something funny to laugh at or they want, or like a reality TV show or like a train crash where they just can't look away, right? And so they kind of just enable that behavior all along the way. But for me, it just makes me sad because he's just been let down so much and his behaviors has been enabled throughout his entire life. So I, I was pointing out all of his behavior. I wasn't even pointing out like the causes for it or anything like that. And it's clear that like, he has a warped sense of entitlement and understanding of the world, period. I think it's a problem within all of sport. I wouldn't say it's just the NFL. Um, because like I mentioned before, I think success sure. leads people to do crazy and interesting things. Because like you mentioned, coaches are under so much pressure to get results. Um and results is where the money is, and that's what put the clubs under pressure to try and do anything they can do to get success. So I think sometimes things get overlooked to get those positive results. So, example, like player welfare, like you say, it, it, it might have been to, to someone's... Um, it, it might have been a negative impact to someone to tell AB what they thought and tell him that you need support here and, and all that. It might have been that... The team he was at at the time, if someone said that, would be less, less successful with him out the team and without with you know with with someone providing support and giving him that extra kind of like help outside of football. Um, but it needs someone to step up and go look. As much as you know, I need this need this success and I need this almost job and I need these results. People need to look at the player welfare side of things in all of sports. I think that you know. <laughs> there's some things that that are a bit bigger than results it takes a coach or like a teacher or a gm or athletic director somewhere along the lines of his entire life to actually care about him instead of just see him as something that they can use and then move on from i think it's it's interesting you make that point because i've been watching or i have watched a lot of that last chance you program that's been on netflix and you can see the mm -hmm. the difference between, for example, the coaches um, and the head coaches, and then what is her name, Brittany Wagner, the 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 woman who was looking after all the players. You can see how empathetic she is with all of them, and how much she yeah. cares of them as a human being compared to the coaches who are purely on about how good that they can be for their team, and and if they're troublesome, then they usually get got they're, they're gone. So it's interesting you kind of make that comparison because you can clearly see it in programs like that. But having said all that, the NFL is trying, especially there's been a huge thing uh, with the Colts. Again, I, I like talking. I'm proud of what the Colts have done, even if they struggle on the field, um, where um, Jim Irsay, the owner, has had his issues with mental health, particularly addiction. Uh, and so they go out of their way to try and support their players' mental health. And the NFL is trying to 
commit to more stuff around that to try and change the culture to the point where they have a a month um, dedicated to trying to destigmatize mental health issues. Um, so like it, it's a nice step in the right direction, but it has to start before they get to this stage in the first place. And the whole pathway of the way you develop players into the NFL and the way you develop players in a lot of professional sports is completely broken. Well, I think I think you're right. So some work I'm currently working on talks about how support for people needs to happen earlier to avoid the situation where you need to provide support to them because something bad has happened. Do you know, it should be that early level. Yeah, you need to prep yeah, you them. Need to prep them. Yeah, teach them you and then teach them. avoid some of the situations. I think you're right. I mean, like you said, the league are doing some positive stuff with people like Calvin Ridley, do you know, allowing him to, to have his time. And obviously the Falcons mm-hmm. can be can be commended for, for what they're doing with Ridley as well. But at the end of the day... Yeah, AJ Brown from Titans too. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But at the end of the day, you'd hope that a system could be put in place where support is provided to them before any of these situations get as bad as they've got for those two players. And it's one of those things where I guarantee if you talk to any of the athletic directors, high school coaches, or any of that stuff along the way, um, I think we've talked about this when we were talking to our professors and stuff, they would all 100% acknowledge the need for this. But almost none of them are willing to pay for it. I was going to say, is that cost-benefit, isn't it? It's always always put in that that frame. Which is crazy to me. Because especially for universities and stuff who claim all this stuff about student-athletes argued against paying them because they were providing education and support, but they never actually provided the correct kind of support. They just used them, sent them on, and benefited from them. That's it. Yeah, especially at such kind of like an important age in your development as like a, as a person, I guess, you know, if you're in your late teens, that's when you kind of start finding things out about yourself and... And you you react into new stimuli, especially as an athlete. You know you need to be able to to have some guidance through those periods. I don't think that guidance is really happening at all. No, it's definitely not. I mean, there are going to be everything we're saying is a generalization. It should be said. There are tons of people out there who are doing really good things and trying to do these kinds of things with their with their kids, especially in high school and college levels. There are tons of really good coaches who uh, connect with their players and stuff like that. So when I say this, it's it's very much a generalization and not specific to any, you know, individual. And there are tons of exceptions to this generalization. Yeah, I think I think what we're trying to say is it's not as common as it should be. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it is it happens, but not nearly enough. Yeah. Oh, that kind of felt cathartic. <laughs> that, that was a nice conversation. It's important to note for listeners this is an it's a pretty important topic, um, and we're both mental health advocates and people who work in it, so it's obviously something we care a lot about. And particularly as I'm trying to work with high school athletes, um, I want to be the advocate I'm talking about. So acknowledging it as a problem is kind of one of the first steps, and I want to be a helpful solution to that problem. Yeah, I think you're right, especially when thinking about the Antonio Brown situation. You mentioned before how entertaining watching kind of what happened on the field was it's about looking into the reasons deeper isn't about why it's occurring and trying to 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 stop things getting to that level yeah and it's about once that event happens you're kind of too late yeah but i I think this is all all quite interrelated isn't it to what we've been talking about about high pressure situations and high stakes situations isn't it you know people will do a lot to get success and and people will 
cope better with high pressure situations better than others and it's about making sure that everyone has that support and has that that help and ability to make it through those high pressure situations and it's important to recognize the responsibility you have as an nfl team or college team that you're giving this person a a certain amount of power and money and fame and importance in society you need to be responsible about that very much so very much so kind of a nice break what do you think yeah yes it's a nice kind of like you say almost like a weight on your chest when you weight off your chest sorry when you can uh, have a chat about this and and just kind of uh, follow where the emotions go i guess yeah just let go of your uh, frustrations mm. a bit so this will be for the start of the nfl playoffs we're going to have an episode just before the super bowl to predict super bowl favorites and then an episode post super bowl where we talk about the entire nfl season as well as the playoffs and we look back at our predictions um, but our next podcast is probably going to be about the Six Nations, which I am extremely excited about. What about you? I'm very pumped for this. So as a Scotland fan, um, yes, uh, yes, uh, yes, it's uh, it's quite an exciting time because I feel like for once, I guess, we've got a team on the up. We seem to be playing better with each year. So we're going to have a whole conversation about the Six Nations. We don't have to have it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's going to be our next podcast. Uh, which is probably in a couple of weeks, maybe a week or so. Uh, the first Six Nations games are on February 5th after all, so we'll probably have it around then. But thanks for listening.